Hello everyone, this is Tom Uren and I'm here with the Gruck for another Between Two Nerds discussion. G'day Gruck, how are you? Oh good Tom, how are you? I'm good. Today's discussion is brought to you by Netrix, a company that helps businesses manage and understand their attack surface. And I had a discussion with Netrix's Martin Cannard, and that's up on this channel this week, so be sure to have a listen to that. I'd also like to thank the Cyber Initiative at the Hewlett Foundation for their support as well. So, Gruck, a while back in uh, BTN14, we had a discussion about how we don't think ransomware people might migrate to Beck, business email compromise, just because if you're a, air quotes, hacker type, it doesn't seem like a very high status thing, like, you know, sending people emails, convincing them to give you money. That just doesn't seem very leet. It's not very cool. No, just It doesn't have the same cachet. And, And conversely, it doesn't seem that people who do business email compromise scams would, I guess, up their technical game because it just seems like that's a hard thing to do. Just to foreshadow the the meat of the discussion, we're going to talk about how there's possibly space for Beck scammers to actually collaborate with ransomware people, which is actually a bit of a scary thought. But it, you were telling me you've mm-hmm. learnt lots of things about the BEC, I guess, ecosystem. So yeah, I learned quite a bit about Beck. It's a thing I've been looking into recently out of curiosity about how does it actually work. And I spoke with Ronnie Tukowski, I heart malware on Twitter, and he really knows his stuff. And the scope was far beyond what we even deal with with ransomware and malware stuff. Yeah, right. So, so my impression... And this is where you'll tell me that I'm wrong. My impression is that... You're wrong. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that, that BEC is just random people who sometimes do their homework really well and will, I, I guess, do big game hunting right. BEC where they'll target a particular executive at a, yeah, a yeah, firm I... and, and really do a lot of open source research to try and figure out what's the best person and the best approach and the this and that. You know, what, what, what do their emails look like? Who are they talking to? You know, find personal details, yada, yada, yada. But it's, it's broader than just a, a, a sort of thin slice of big game hunting BC people. Right. So here's the thing is it turns out that BEC actually involves millions of people. Yikes. Just on the scammer side, like we're not talking about the the victims and yep. the sort of support network that's been developed. So there are millions of BEC people. It's huge. It just dwarfs all the other cybercrime stuff in terms of volume of people involved. And so they can bring this scale of people doing things to any problem, which makes it super hard to to deal with. But there's all sorts of other things going on. So, you know, like there's the Yahoo Boys, like this 419 scammer, Nigerian prince, back in the day. That sort of like that was the basis that this is built right. on. So, so that is, that's the one where you would get a message saying, I'm a Nigerian prince or yeah. the, the relative of an African ruler and I've got a whole heap of money and I need your help to transfer it. That's the one? That's the one, right. 
the scam is technically called, I think it's the Spanish prisoner, right? Where it's the, I'm, I'm a super rich count being held in Spanish prison and I need your help to get access to my ransom. Right. So if you could just forward me a hundred bucks and then I can use that to pay to get out and then I'll give you part of my money. There's some, I need your money first and then I can get my money. Okay, so they were doing that. And then they also started to expand into romance scams. What's which the, is the 419 part come from? I think the 419 was the criminal code for Nigeria for computer crimes. Right. So the, these 419 scammers, they sort of had this lock on sending email, getting money, working as a sort of community together where they would sort of help each other with the oh, okay, like, why don't I hand you off to my banker who can tell you more details about the transaction we're trying to do? Or like, you know, I, I, will, I will connect you with my lawyer who will help verify some of these details for you. And um, those would just sort of be part of this community where they would help each other with different things going on. And they expanded into doing romance scams, which would be where they would post on dating websites and stuff like that find lonely people in vulnerable emotional states and sucker them into becoming romantically involved with this person they've never met. Yep. And then once they get them doing that, then it's, oh, you know, I've got access to a huge amount of money, but I can't get to it because I have to pay a lawyer's fee up front. Or I want to come and visit you, but can you please send me money for the tickets? And then right. yep. all of these different little upfront schemes. So that... Like just listening to you talk, the first one is just motivation by greed. And then the second one seems to be more sophisticated and it's motivating people by... There's this emotional factor. Yeah, emotional or notionally a genuine relationship. So that seems right. to be more sophisticated and potentially more right. powerful, right? It is. It's part I of what makes it powerful. Maslow's hierarchy of needs or something <laughs> like that. Right. You're getting a lot lower down when you get to that love being a, a fundamental requirement of human existence in many ways. But it, it psychologically becomes quite difficult for these people to realize what's happened to them because they're presented with an opportunity to live in two different types of worlds. One, they have someone who loves them, who they're trying to help to reach them so that they can be happy and have a future together. Yep, it's nice to be needed. And the other one, there's no one who loves them. They've sent all their money to a scammer and they've driven their friends away it's a lot like a cult. They sort of get isolated as part of the thing. It's right, the, it becomes all-encompassing. Right. Don't trust your friends. They're trying to keep us apart. Right. Your family is just trying to stop you from being happy. They don't like me, and that makes me sad. You don't want me to be sad, do you? Like all this emotional manipulation. So you, you basically have, you can be in a world where you're loved, and you're doing nice things to help the person you love, or you can be a fool living in a cold and caring world where you've done bad things and no one loves you. Yeah, that does actually sound pretty grim. Right. And so there's a fairly strong incentive not to recognize what's happening, no matter what comes up. And because of this, these relationships can last for years, you know, like three years, five years. Some, some of them have gone on for 10 years. Really? It'll get to the point where this person's living in basically abject poverty because they've sent all of their money to a scammer. And they exist as like the only bright light in their world is being in connection with their romantic partner. Like yep. it's, it's grim. That is grim. And so the scammers that have these people on the hook that much, 
they're able to put huge amounts of money through their bank accounts because what that person now has that's valuable is they live in the West, they have a bank account of good standing that's been used for many, many years as a normal bank account. Right? Like right, it, yeah. So the, when the bank is looking at it, it's got a very, very high rating. Yeah, and, and I guess money comes in and money goes out. Right. No, never any complaints about it. Right. In terms of know your customer, absolutely, they'll come in, they've got the ID, it's the right person, there's no, yep. I mean, like there's no scamming going on in terms of who owns that account. It's not a fortunately opened, it's not fresh and being used for crimes, it's, they've been banking here for 30 years maybe. And so it's hard for the banks to notice this stuff because the accounts look normal to them, quite highly trusted. So then the scammers can use these accounts and the control that they have over the victims to get huge amounts of money, right? And this is, this is sort of the, the foundation of Beck is that you've got this network of romance scam victims who you can trust to send a million dollars to their accounts. They will take out $2,000 for their trouble and send the rest on is, to Nigeria. Surely they're not sending a million dollars to an individual, right? Absolutely, they have. Really? Really. It's <laughs> insane. I would have right? thought the and bank would notice something like that and that you could... I would have as well. It's, I mean, I can understand not noticing a $10,000 transfer to someone who's had a bank account for 30 years. Yeah, and I would have thought but... you would split it up into, you know, many 10 or yeah. 20 or whatever. Right. Whatever the number but, is. But yeah, like, the, I mean, they'll do things like they will contact a church and they'll say, you haven't paid the invoice for the new, like we... We put a roof on, you owe us $1.2 million, you haven't paid it. If you don't pay within the next 48 hours, we're going to take you to court, we're gonna like go to the papers and blah, 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 like it's long overdue, here's our information. Please pay immediately. And so the financial person freaks out, pays 1.2 million to the, the bank account that's given to them. Come to find out it's not the actual contractor and they've just paid to some random person when they go to recover the money, the money's already gone, it's been transferred out. But they must have transferred to illegitimate. Right, right. I mean, right. like that, that, they, they weren't structuring it when they were paying the invoice. They weren't doing, you know, 9,999. Right. right. So you know? I, I guess in that case, the amount would be high enough that it would get flagged at some <laughs> level as suspicious. But by the time right, it's the authorities actually do anything about it it's too late is that the yeah from the exchanges i've seen with the the way that the romance scam guys control their money mules is that it's basically same day right right so they will contact their their mule and they'll say hey the the first payment for my lawyer is going to be sent to you tomorrow so i i really really need you to go to the bank tomorrow by 10 a.m and if you could get that out in cash and then mail the cash to this address, All right? So this is the amount that's coming in. There's a thousand dollars in there for you. And I need the other $25,000 to be put in an envelope, taken to FedEx and shipped to this address. And you need to do it by 10 AM tomorrow. You know, like the money will come in at nine. You need to ship it out at 10 because that's the only way I can get it to him in, on time for the thing that I need it for at noon or whatever. Right? So it's, they put these people in a position where they operate super fast because they're helping the person they love, right? right? And it's amazing the way that they can do that. And they've got just so many people 
on the hook. So the numbers from like the IC is like 176,000 romance scam victims in the US. Right, right. That's the FBI's internet crime Cyber center crime. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So they report on pretty good numbers in this case. Like it's, but it's, again, it's, it's like a lot of emotional related crimes where it's obviously underreported. Yes. So there's yep. way more than 176,000. I think conservatively saying 200,000 is not a... Yeah, yeah. To me, the question is whether it's two, three or five times underreported. <laughs> right. It's not like 10%. Exactly. I mean, there might be a million for all we know. It's not inconceivable. But what it means is that there's a significant percentage of them have been used for so many years that they're highly trusted, that they're like deep inside this network. So the the Beck guys sort of, they rank them in tiers. They'll be like the people who are still kind of fresh to the game, like only a few years or whatever, or a few months. They will be trusted to have smaller amounts of money sent to them that they then send to someone more trusted who can accumulate and transfer it on right, sort of right. directly so to Nigeria. In fact, some of the victims, their value isn't necessarily in the money they give up. It's in the, I guess, crime services they can yeah, it's, facilitate. It's they, yeah. Um, so like access to the financial system is a valuable thing. Yeah. Right. And that's what these people are providing. And so... This is how it's going to tie to ransomware, because we're getting back to that, is that a lot of the times we treat access to the financial system as a sign of legitimacy, and it's also a security boundary, right? Like, this is where we do KYC. This is how we do all of these things to verify and track down criminals, is you have to be part of the financial system. And once you are, you have to be identified by a real ID and a real person, in theory. And so we can catch you if you're doing bad things. And if there's particular bad actors, they can be frozen out. Like, we can kick them out of SWIFT or we can take their bank off the, the banking networks and stuff. So that's viewed as a security layer. And the problem that these romance scam victims present is it's a little bit like sabotage or espionage in that if someone is vetted to get into the CIA, they can pass all of these security layers to get into the CIA. But then if they're recruited by the KGB to work for the KGB while being inside the CIA, you know, as a spy, as, as a mole. All of those security layers that were put in place to vet them don't matter because that, you know, they're already trusted and they're on the inside. Right. I, I guess think it's that's the thing. A bit like a sleeper agent or something like that. Right. And it's that these people have already gone through all of the authentication to be part of the network, to be part of this financial thing. And they've been, they spent years as upstanding citizens of the financial services network and now that they've been co-opted and they're being abused by someone else they're banking on all of that credibility that they've established beforehand and they've already gone through all of the security checks or the the majority of the security checks that get relied on right yeah maybe one way to put it in a cybersecurity context is that if we look at the financial system as a network and the the kyc like know your customer as a firewall They've kind of done this perimeter security thing and they leave the inside completely right, yep. untouched. So it's, if, we, if we don't catch it at the perimeter with KYC and you know, some of our anti-money laundering yep. uh, requirements, you know, not sanctioned, not on a red list, blah, blah, blah. If we don't catch it with that, then 
that was our one opportunity to actually you know, it, intersect or um, right, to, yeah. to uh, I guess <laughs> the financial system isn't zero trust <laughs> <laughs> so at this point we've got on the one hand ransomware gangs who are still getting paid in cryptocurrency we have the US and other governments who are keen to crack down on the use of cryptocurrency I guess a third yeah player here is the blockchain analysis companies who are helping mm-hmm. governments to track those payments and in the other corner there are many corners in in, in what i've been <laughs> talking about i guess or many yeah. other parties we have the bec adjacent financial networks that are in some sense maybe not clean but are, are available for use and yeah, and they're very, very high throughput as well. I think that's the other thing to sort of get across is that you can put huge amounts of money through these networks. Because, because there's so many people and maybe right. you would give one person a large sum and they would what, just distribute it somehow and break it out. And, and even if it looks suspicious, yep. by the time it's, it's too late, it's gone. Right. And right. You, because you have so many of those people available... You don't need to do it, you know, every eight hours to the same person, you know, right. $100,000, $100,000. You know, you can do that, you know, once every few months or maybe even once a year, whatever, and still have enough people to go through without a problem. Like if you if you just look at the numbers, there's, you know, Beck is supposed to be like $3 billion a year. And if there's 176,000 people, you know, at, which is far below the real number. No single one of them actually needs to do a particularly large amount right, to get you right. to do three billion. I guess it's the financial right. equivalent of a one-time pad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and because the way that these criminal communities are organized on the other end, that flexibility actually exists for any threat actor within the network. It's not like if we can just take out the biggest cluster, then we will drop the overall crime throughput of this community by like a significant amount because it's so vastly distributed and there's these sort of like small little pocket gangs who will have 27 money mules or they'll have a really good script for doing one type of BEC and they'll just use that and that will allow on the back end if your back thing starts working you've got money that you need to move you can go to your, your figurative, your next door neighbor and right. use his. Or you could go across the street and use his. Or you could go to the corner store and use theirs. Or you could... Yep. So on the one hand, we've got ransomware criminals getting large ransoms. We've got a kind of distributed BEC adjacent money laundering system. I guess it's money laundering <laughs> effectively. Right. Um, but because it's distributed... I was just trying to think of the reasons why they might not get together. And one reason is if it's distributed, like who do you talk to? Right, right. There's probably there's probably a number of hurdles, but I think it's not worth overcoming them because there's no pressing need. Right now. Right now, exactly. I think we shouldn't count on that. So there's there's a sort of meme or this this idea that ransomware and crypto are one-to-one linked in a way that if we could get rid of crypto as a means of paying ransoms, 
then ransomware would have to go away because there's no way to pay, right? Like you can't ransom someone and then say, I need $250,000 in small unmarked bills in a you know, brown paper bag <laughs> underneath the stairs, 3 a.m., you know, platform seven at the central train station. That is not going to work. And so the thing is with the fixation on crypto, we've sort of lost sight of the idea that there are other ways of extracting money, even if it has to go through the, the legitimate financial system. And so we could very easily shut down all of crypto and still have ransomware without a let up in the, the impact, simply because there exists a mechanism for moving that amount of money through the legitimate transfer with real bank accounts. It doesn't need to go to crypto. Crypto is just the easiest way and least effort way right now. Right. But it's not the only option available. And they exist in two adjacent but separate criminal spheres. But there's already been cases where Beck and other types of criminal activity, they're doing knowledge sharing and exchanges. So Mafia have now started doing Beck and one of the larger gangs doing Beck is now doing human trafficking in Europe. Right. And then there's Beck transfers that are going sort of south of the border in the US. They're, they're not going into Africa, they're now going into South America. And so that strongly suggests that some of the criminal groups down there are now starting to have, have this acquired knowledge that they're using. And so there's no reason to think that Beck doesn't exchange with other criminal activities. Right, right. I think the thing here is to, to understand that ransomware, like these are criminal enterprises doing crime but they're enterprises. If you shut down one way of, of getting revenue, they're going to try and find another way. Like if, if you have a popular hot dog stand on the beach and Visa cuts you off, you're not gonna shut down your hot dog stand because you can't take Visa anymore, right? You're going to find a way around it, even if that means paying for an ATM to be put in right next to it so people could take their Visa, get cash, and then pay you, right? Because you have a thing that makes money and any obstacle in the way you're going to try and overcome the obstacle before you shut down your business so i mean ironically it seems like you're saying that the financial system is actually more porous than cryptocurrency is if you know what you're doing if you've got the right if you've sort of laid the groundwork yeah very much so and the thing is these guys have had you know over a decade of laying that groundwork yeah. and developing their systems and battle testing it and because the early stages of this were sort of left to fester because they just weren't that important compared to everything else that was going on, they've now grown and become more sophisticated and more dangerous in terms of the opportunities that they present to other criminal enterprise. Like they, they've created this sort of solid foundation of money laundering that yeah. can be used by other criminal enterprises who need a solid foundation of money laundering just for what they're trying to do. And so, yeah, in a way, I think um, we've sort of, we've relied very heavily on the idea of the financial system as this secured network with a tough perimeter of like, know your customer and AML and like all these other really, really strong defenses. But the way that these, these Beck guys are going about it is they've got the sort of 
backdoor people already inside who are trusted and because they're inside they can do whatever i i guess the question is do you think it will happen or not no so why don't you think it will happen okay so the the reason i don't think it will happen is first of all i'm not convinced that we're going to get rid of cryptocurrency as a mechanism so i, I don't think that the the pressure to shift yep will appear right but then if it does appear I think the ransomware guys would rather set up their own networks because their own romance scam money mule networks, because that's a financial opportunity that they don't want to uh, miss out by giving to someone else. Like it's, it's a sort of, it's a leap of trust. If you're getting $2 million shipped to you to go to someone that you only know as a fellow criminal (laughs) and say, I'm going to send you $2 million. Can you please send me my money? Yeah. And they're going to go, no, 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 you can't trust me with that. I mean, are you crazy? Right, you know? yeah. 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 So on one so level, I... it totally makes sense. On another level, it is totally crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> thanks a lot, Grant. Uh, thanks a lot, Tom. <laughs>